It is great to be together as God's family here together, and I know I've said this before, but even if we don't physically have room for you, there is always room for you in God's family. You are a part of our family here, and I've said it once, and I'll say it again. We're just like the Olive Garden. When you're here, you're family, minus the breadsticks, but you get Jesus, amen? And that's why we are here. We love new people. In fact, Brent and Michelle invited like half of their town. They invited a small village uh, over here. So they've really kind of upped the bar on the whole inviting people to church thing. So just so so you're watching, did you invite 30 people today? They did. Um, So that's awesome. Praise God for baptisms and for new life. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Praise God. Um. I tell you what, uh, you've probably never heard a pastor say this before at a worship service, and you will probably never hear him say that uh, again, but today it totally makes sense. If you are new today and you are visiting, we would strongly encourage you to not come back next week. Here. Don't come back. I just always wanted to say that. Don't come back here next week. Uh, Please don't. Uh, We'd rather have you come uh, to our new facility, but obviously we're excited about that. Uh, We're on the move. God's on the move, and we're right in the middle of this brand new uh, sermon series that we're walking through these couple weeks. It's why those postcards are on your chair. It's why this has kind of been our theme, this on the move. Everybody say on the move. God's on the move, and we are literally on the move. And we've been walking through these different stories in Scripture of God's people who are on the move. And when God calls us, we can't stay where we are. That's been the reoccurring theme over and over and over again. On the move. That could be a sermon series here, or depending on how you spent your weekend, that could be a sermon series about Black Friday. Uh, Because clearly, uh, some people know how to be on the move if they are motivated enough. I just like, if you just, like the day, like the Saturday after Black Friday, if you just Google Black Friday, there are some very scary pictures that will come up uh, on that search. And uh, so these people are, are, are running under there, hopefully not getting trampled. Folks, I have nothing against shopping. Um, just a few things I'd like to share. I've got nothing against those poor souls that like to get up at the crack of dawn to join thousands of your fellow kind-hearted, loving Christian friends to tailgate outside shopping centers with no food and no football, finally to storm the gates at the stroke of midnight, spreading holiday cheer by throwing elbows with Christian love and shoving your competitors to the floor, all in order to secure the deal of the century, 17 waffle makers for every member of your extended family for $2.99 a piece. That was worth getting up at 4 a.m. No, that completely makes sense. I have nothing against shopping. I totally understand. Are you kidding me? You know what I did on Friday morning? I slept in. Did anybody else sleep in on Friday morning? Oh, for pity's sakes. I tell you what. Uh, I'm not here today to steal your joy or to condemn you. Actually, far from it. Instead, today, I want to encourage you and remind you, in the midst of all this craziness here today, in the midst of our move, in the midst of the rush and the clutter and the noise, that today marks the beginning of the season of Advent. And how ironic that in a world and in a culture and in a weekend that we just had that's all about what I can get and consuming, which again, not here to condemn you, shopping's a good thing. How ironic that right smack dab in the middle of that is the season of Advent, which is all about waiting. 
which is all about waiting not just for what we want, but for what we truly need. And so my encouragement to you is, in the midst of the holiday, don't miss the Savior. Slow down amidst the Christmas rush and remember what this is really all about, a baby in a manger who became the Savior. So I would encourage you, if you're not doing an Advent devotional together as a family, how are you slowing down and remembering the season? I would encourage you to do that. But before we get to the Christmas story in the coming weeks, it's important to remember Advent by spending some time in the Old Testament with God's people that were waiting many, many, many years, remembering the journey of God's people long before Jesus ever came. And to remember that any journey worth taking, as we've been talking about God's people being on the move these last several weeks, any journey worth taking is filled with obstacles. It wouldn't be a sermon here at Hubble. I thought, I can't give my final sermon without a prop. So you got to have a prop. Anybody? You ready for this? Right? Join a group. Join a team. Remember that? Right? We're not going to do that today. I want to tell you a story about one of my good friends. Back in Seventh grade, I was so excited because that was the first year that we could go out for organized football. Now, have any of you ever actually watched a junior high football game? It is something to behold, right? They could beat the Bears probably at this point, but um, they're my team. I'm poking fun of my team, people, okay? Um, It's not very pretty, and and when you're in seventh grade and you're just learning how to play football like we were, not everybody fully understands what football is all about. Now, I was a jock. I was 4'10", and I weighed 77 pounds, so I was a jock uh, in in seventh grade, but uh, I was one of the quarterbacks, and one of our other quarterbacks that was thinking, oh, that looks fun, I'd like to try and do that, is my friend named Carl. First name Carl, last name Carlson. Yes, we are a Norwegian town. Um, Carl was more of a science, kind of nerdy, geek kind of guy, but he was fun. He was a good guy, Uh, but he decided to go out for football. He knew nothing about football, and so one day we're in the middle of junior high football practice, and Carl decides that he's going to play quarterback, and there's this play where the quarterback takes the ball, and they fake it to the running back, and they come around the side here, and then they run around the end, and they're supposed to just run, and, and hopefully there's nobody in your way, but you all know there's, in football, there's offense, and then there's defense. And the goal of the defense is to stop the offense, right? And to get in your way. Well, this was one of the crowning achievements of our seventh grade football life together as a team. Carl said, hud, hud, hike, or whatever he said, and he he started to run. And Carl's about the same size, about 70 pounds. It's this little pipsqueak. And then there's this big, huge guy uh, named Eric that was in seventh grade and literally had a mustache, I think. He was a large man. Um, and he weighed like 250, 275 pounds, big dude, and little Carl Carlson carrying the ball, okay? Now, Carl says hike, and he comes around the end like this, and he's running, and he's running, he's so excited, and he sees this open lane, and he's just going to run for the touchdown, and he starts running, and he just stops because big old Eric is right in his face, right here, and, and Carl just stops. Like, he just holds the ball and just stops, and then this huge ogre Eric just stops, and they just look at each other. It's like David and Goliath, and everybody on the team just stops. And our coach blows the whistle from the sideline and goes, guys, what's going on out here? And then everybody's just listening, and it's, it's dead silence, and Carl just looks at this big ogre just breathing down his neck. He's just ready to get trampled by the entire defense. And Carl, not knowing very much about football, goes, hey, you're in my way. 
and we just lost it. Like we all fell down laughing. We had to take a laughing break at seventh grade football practice because you would think that Carl would know the point of football for the defense is to get in your way. Hey, you're in my way. There's unexpected opposition coming my way. And you would think that he would know that. The nature of the game of football is that you would expect opposition. And yet sometimes I think in life, we think the exact opposite. It's like we're almost surprised, especially as followers of Jesus, when opposition comes our way. I mean, isn't believing in Jesus supposed to remove all the obstacles from our path and it's just clear sailing for a touchdown every day? Life throws you a curveball. It's a difficulty that you're facing. It's a battle that we can't overcome and we're going through our life and it's almost like we say, well, Jesus, wait a minute. This is in my way. Life isn't going the way that I want it. There's an obstacle. There's a barrier. Jesus, I thought that you would take it all away. But as you and I well know, that's never really been the case for us as God's people or for God's people throughout history. And what we're going to look at today is what you do when you encounter unexpected opposition. When barriers come your way, when you're on the journey from here to there. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open up to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. How many of you have read the book of Numbers recently? Probably not, right? Steve gets up here and reads this passage. I can't even pronounce some of those things, right? This is a fun passage. Turn to Numbers 13. It's in the Old Testament. And as you're turning there, I kind of want to set the stage. We've been talking about how God's people are moving from here to there. And there is the promise land. And so they've been on this long journey. Moses has been leading the Israelites across the desert. And last week, we were reminded that on our journey from here to there, most of life is not lived on the mountaintop, but life is lived in the valley. It's lived in the land between. And you would think that on the journey, not just as the Israelites, but on all our journey, all of us, as we move from where we are in life to the place we want to be, to the kind of person that we want to be, you would think that once we've sort of learned our lessons in the land between, that once we've put in our time, that getting to where we want in life should be easy. And yet sometimes it feels like almost just as we almost get to where we want, when, when we're on the brink of the promised land, when we're on the brink of getting our desires fulfilled, when we're that close to something in our life, you would think that it would be easy, but that's when we encounter obstacles, barriers, dream stealers, right at the last minute. So what about you? What do you do in life when you're traveling to where you want to go and what's out there keeps you stuck here? What do you do in your life when you encounter obstacles that you cannot overcome on your own? What do you do when you've come to the end of yourself? Or what do you do when that obstacle is a literal giant? Well, that's the story that we're going to look at today. Numbers chapter 13. There's a few things you got to know. Just because God has promised his people the promised land doesn't mean they're not going to have to fight for it. The 
the, the, the staging for this passage is war. God's people have been fighting off all the armies around them. The backdrop to the entire story is war. Not every nation is just going to play nice and roll over and set the, let the Israelites just move into their land. And so in this morning's reading, Moses has sent out 12 scouts to report on the land of Canaan, which is the promised land, which is there, to see how good it really is and to check out the resistance and the barriers that they might encounter. So Moses is the leader. He sends out the spies, and they come back. And now let's look at verse 27. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a beautiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 28, but the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. Get this. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And later on, what you heard Steve read is they came back. Compared to them, we feel like grasshoppers. Isn't it funny that when a bunch of people see the same thing and then fear starts to spread, that it can kind of get exaggerated? You ever been experienced something like that? In other words, God's people were running for the touchdown, just like Carl, ready to enter into the promised land, only to encounter literal giants. Now, you would think, after all that they've been through, they've survived the plagues, they escaped Pharaoh, they've survived for 40 years in the desert, God has provided for them and been faithful, God sent down food from the sky called manna. God creates something out of nothing all the time. And you would think that in this moment where they go out and they see some giants, you would think they would say, oh, God's totally got it. God's totally got it. We can trust him. But instead, after all that they've been through, (laughs) they come back and they say, oh, God, I don't know. There's some really tall guys out there. What if they challenge us to a basketball game? right? And they're freaking out, and fear is flowing throughout the camp. My question for you this morning is, what is your typical response when you encounter unexpected opposition? When you're running for that touchdown, and you stop, and then there's a giant right in front of you, whatever that giant is, what do you do when you experience unexpected opposition. And for you, it's not a literal giant today, but maybe if you're like me, there's a default reaction and it's stress. I'm sure that's not applicable this time of year at all, but let me just talk about stress for a little bit, okay? Even though all of our grandmas probably told us, right? You ever heard this? Stress is a lot like a rocking chair. Gives you something to do, but doesn't get you anywhere. Think about that. Some of you will get it on the way home. Sorry about that. It never gets you anywhere, but we still do it. Why do we stress when opposition comes our way? It's an attempt to control. So as fear is spreading throughout the Israelite camp, they want to control. They want to say, we can do this. We don't really need God. And and what if God doesn't come through and all this? My default reaction to things that hit me in life is stress. What's your default? You would like to say, I just trust God and I read my Bible and I pray and he makes it all better. Don't lie, you're in church. 
I stress, for some of you it's fear, I don't know what it is when, when something's not going right, when the, when the argument erupts with your spouse, when the car suddenly breaks down, when you get the diagnosis that you didn't want to get, when you get denied that job you've been wanting again and again and again. I don't know if you're anything like me, but have you ever caught yourself thinking, God, don't I deserve a break for once? You ever said that? God, don't I just deserve a break? God, I've been, I've been obeying you. I've been going to church every week, and now this is what you throw at me? God, we've been faithful. God, I've been serving you, and now this is what happens. And here's what we do, folks. We start making up false narratives to try to make sense of things we don't understand. You ever been sitting in a hospital room? Somebody's just died or somebody has cancer or something and somebody just opens their big mouth and says, well, you know, maybe God needed them more than us. We try to say things to make sense of unexpected obstacles in our way about what God is really like. So what's your default? For the Israelites, they encounter this obstacle, they encounter these giants, and it's the fear of the unknown. And it reminds me of a certain tale, not about giants, but a beast. And the boys from the sandlot. Gathered in a treehouse on that summer night, Smalls just hit a baseball signed by Babe Ruth over into the yard, into the backyard of the beast. And exactly like the Israelites, they start telling stories and fear spreads throughout the camp. What happens when we encounter unexpected opposition? Let's take a look. So maybe that story stretched a little bit, right? Because you probably know, just a spoiler alert, the beast really isn't all that scary, is he? He's really a nice dog. But can't you just hear the scouts telling the Israelites, you see everyone, it's why you can't go over there into Canaan. You can't go into the promised land. Nobody ever has, nobody ever will. And if you try, you'll get eaten. Fear starts to spread throughout the camp until all the people just inches away from the promised land are frozen and paralyzed by fear of these giants in their life. What are your giants? Maybe it's the fear of what lies ahead. It's that beast out there. You wonder, am I going to be alone forever? Maybe your giant today is the mountain of bills that are piling up this time of year and you find yourself in debt and you can't find a job and that's just too big of an obstacle to overcome. Maybe your giant is the conflict in your marriage that you just can't seem to get past. Maybe it's the mistakes of your past that have you pinned down. Maybe it's that dream or that desire that God has placed on your heart, but you just can't catch a break and you just can't get there. Later on in the story, look at verse 31 up on the screen. Let's read this nice and loud together. This is what the Israelites tell Moses. Let's read it together. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. And who said the book of Numbers was not applicable to your life? You ever said that? You ever been there? When life, 
when there's no possible way to get there. When there is no way, what do you do? You go back to the promise, which is exactly what our heroes do in the story this morning. While the entire nation of Israel was trembling with fear, a couple men refused to be overcome. Skip ahead to chapter 14. Just turn the page. Numbers chapter 14, verse 6. And the story continues. Two of the men who had explored the land, so two of the twelve, Joshua and Caleb, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land, and if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of this land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Joshua And Caleb, one of my favorite stories because it makes me so proud of my son. This is the story where we got his name. Joshua and Caleb saying, If God is with us, who can be against us? They are facing the same giants. They are facing the same fear that everybody else is. But while most of the people retreat, they say, Let's take it. Let's go. Let's follow. Who says that? Who who says these giants, this great vast army of giants in front of us, who says they are only helpless prey to us? It's like David calling Goliath a dog. Who talks like that? People who know that when there is no way, God will make a way. Just like the song that we sang this morning. Where there is no way, you make a way. One of the names for God in the Old Testament, well, really throughout the whole Bible, is Yahweh. Everybody say Yahweh. Yahweh. One of my uh, college professors, when he was teaching this Bible class, (laughs) would always say, when the world says no way, Yahweh. Yahweh. (laughs) Everybody say Yahweh. Yahweh. So when the world says no way, whenever the giants are stacking up against you and you experience unexpected opposition in your life and the world says no way and there is no way that you can overcome these things on your own, Yahweh. Yahweh. Absolutely. And I just want to pause for a second here because I know what some of you might be thinking. John, thank you for this cute pep talk. I really appreciate that because I'm going through some obstacles in my life right now, and the last thing that I need, John, is some more happy little motivational, you know, Christian sayings that I can put on a plaque and hang it on my wall and go, oh. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus was not crucified, died, buried, and rose again to life (laughs) so that you could have a cute little motivational saying on your wall. Jesus died and defeated the power of sin and death and hell to prove that beyond a shadow of a doubt, when there is no way, he made a way. Amen? When you were stuck in your sin and your guilt and your shame and you were lost, when there is no way, Yahweh. When there is no way, he makes a way. Jesus came to show us once and for all, never, ever, 
ever underestimate what God can do in your life. Yahweh. And he has the victory of today. Today, And because of that, this is where the rubber meets the road, folks. This is not a nice little trite Christian saying to put on the walls of, of your house. It's when you look at your marriage from a worldly view, people would say, those two people are so far apart and they're never going to be able to rekindle that love that they had long ago in their marriage. And the world says no way and God says Yahweh. There is, there's no way. And some of you are thinking, I look at the uncertainty of my life and I look at what's out in front of me and I'm saying, my circumstances are so difficult right now and there's no way, there's no way that I could have peace. What a joke. And God says, why not? Why can you not experience my love and my peace and my joy right in the middle of whatever you're going through, right in the face of whatever giants you're facing in your life, no matter what's coming your way, when the world says there is no way, Yahweh. And the cross and the empty tomb are not just nice little religious reminders for us today. They are our only hope both now and forever. Amen? Here's the truth, and it's the same truth that was staring Joshua and Caleb in the face that day. God never promises to take our giants away. He never promises that. Jesus even says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. God never promises to take these obstacles away. He says, you have nothing to fear, and I am with you right in the middle of it no matter what you're facing today. And once again, this message could not be more true for us as a church community. We have been on a six-year journey ourselves from here to there, and it has been filled with joys and victories and fears and obstacles. And of course, I picked this topic three to four months ago, not having any idea what would be going on. And I thought, oh, this will be a nice, cute little passage that I'll, I'll preach on. You know, it's a week before we move into the building, Everything is going to be just great. And I'll just tell the whole congregation, God's going to be with us and we have nothing to fear. It's going to be great. Yay! We're on the brink of our promised land. We're on the brink of getting to this destination of our new building that we've been wanting to get to. What could possibly go wrong? Just to ease your fear, we're moving in next week. That's happening. But we are... Um, this past week, one of the days, um, Rick came to me and explained to me a situation that is completely beyond our control. And so, of all the things, we were not able to get these emergency steps coming down from the top level of our building in time. And you think, oh, that's just kind of a little silly thing. Well, if you don't have those, then you can't use that part of your building. And so, for several weeks here, we're... We're going to have to rearrange some things and change a lot of our plans and use different parts of the building because we can't use the top part that we wanted to use. And so Rick tells me that, and after a year-long process of all this, he comes to me, and the week before moving into the building says, oh yeah, we can't use a fourth of it. And of course, as a perfect, godly, wise pastor... When I heard the news, I dropped to my knees in worship and prayer, thanking God for how faithful he's been, 
And I reminded our team, God is bigger than any of the giants that we'll face. La da 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 da. I got angry. Do you ever get angry? I got mad. I got really mad. I threw a lot of snow. Um, I went to my default, right? So here's this unexpected obstacle. And I just start stressing. And I start freaking out and I start getting a short temper. Like I normally do, I take it out on Tiffany even though it's never her fault really. And I got mad. I didn't get mad at anyone because all this is beyond our control. There's nothing we can do about that. I got mad for you. And I said to Tiffany, I said, I think about all the people who have put so many hours and time into this project who have given so sacrificially and now we can't even use it for a few weeks. This is terrible! Some of you are thinking, our pastor has got some issues. Um, I just care about you as a church so much. And I got like this little glimpse of in scripture when they talk about the shepherd and the sheep and when a lion or a bear would come and attack the sheep, the shepherd like snaps into action. And it's like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna protect the flock. And, and that just kind of like rose up in me. I'm like, this is not okay. And I, I felt like it, it was a holy anger that used in the right way is good. And Jesus calls us to that. And in some ways, I sounded like an ungrateful Israelite in the desert. And so I was on a walk, and I was just praying about it. And I felt God say, John, look how far I've brought you as church. There's been so many Sundays where I've walked in here, and I've honestly asked the question, besides my staff and my wife, is anybody going to show up? (laughs) And here we are. And God says, where there is no way, Yahweh. Where there is no way, I'll make a way. John, don't you think that if I brought you this far as a church, don't you think I'm going to get you home? Don't you think I'm going to bring you the rest of the way? When there is no way, you make a way. And this hasn't been the first time that we faced obstacles. It will not be the last time. I hate to break it to you folks, but having a building is not going to solve everything. I wanted to wait to the week before and tell you that. It's not going to make us into some perfect church where everything's easy and nobody ever make mistakes. I hope you learned that a long time ago. In fact, because we have this building, this tool for ministry now, if anything, the journey is going to get harder and more messy because we're not going to hide back in our tents and cower in fear like the Israelites did. We're going to charge ahead and get messy on the front lines of mission just like Joshua and Caleb did. And they said, if God has promised that to us, we're going to take it. And we're going to take God up on his promises no matter what opposition we might face because if God is for us, who could be against us? You remember what JFK said? We're not going to the moon because it's easy. We're going because it's hard. We're not going farther into the city because it's going to be easy. We're going because God has called us to. And because there's people that are facing giants in their lives that are so much bigger than not being able to use the top level of our building for pity's sakes. And God started to put things in perspective. And it's, it's why we're doing this Advent project that we are. 
specifically working with these kids. And I want to encourage you to take those tags today. There are people, there's kids in this city that are facing giants in their life. Grabbed a few of the prayers this week and I just wanted to share these with you as a reminder of why we're the church and why we're doing what we're doing. This is a 12-year-old. Please pray for my dad to come back someday so we can all be together for Christmas. Ten-year-old, please pray for my mommy who is really sick with the cancer because I'm scared. Eleven-year-old, please pray that my mom will know that God loves her even though she messed up. And last but not least, this is my favorite one from a nine-year-old. Please pray that I will be able to become Iron Man. Does anybody want that one to pray for? That's why we do what we do. Those prayers are why we do what we do. And it's not just kids, it's the woman that I spoke with last week, walking out of worship. And she's been through a difficult divorce, she's battled depression, and she came and she just looked me in the eyes and she told me, if it wasn't for the love of Jesus that I found in the people of this church, I don't know where I'd be. That's why we're going into the city. That's why we can't stay here, and that's why we have to go there because there are thousands of people just like her and just like those kids that need to know even though the giants that they're facing in their life are real when the world says no way God says I can make a way I can make a way from them and throughout history God has had the habit of showing up in some of the most unlikely places if you think oh it's not really for me God can show up in burning bushes he can show up in mangers and he can show up in elementary schools in the middle of Des Moines. And it has been an amazing six years in this place. And we're going to miss it a lot. And there's been a lot of memories. Some of you, you've had your kids baptized here. Some of you have been baptized here. Some of you found your first real church home here. Some of you met your spouse for the first time here. Don't get any ideas. Some of you, a lot of you, have had your lives changed in an elementary school gym. So do not ever say that there is no way because where there is no way, God can make a way. And after six years, if there's anything that we have learned in a, as a church, it always has been about Jesus and it always will be about Jesus. There's one thing that we know for sure. With God, the best is always yet to come. Amen?